and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker, and I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations, on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wondering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga, and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hey friends. In this episode, I leapt headlong into a conversation about joy as a practice. I'm feeling super inspired by this worldview right now and in recognizing the power of our collective generative force. I will explore the connection between joy and trust and poke at the possibility that the avoidance of joy is just another method of spiritual bypassing as much as love and light mentality is. As always, I end with the offering of contemplations to explore in your own life and practice. What kind of requirements do you put around what you celebrate? What demands and expectations do you have around joy? And are these controls part of the resistance that you have to being joyful? I hope that this ramble uh, is as enjoyable to you as it was to me. This episode was recorded live on January 21st, 2021. We're going to talk about joy. Um... If you were signed up for this call two weeks ago, as it was supposed to happen, two weeks ago, we were also going to talk about joy, which was January 7th. It felt way more radical to talk about on the 7th of January than it feels um, today on the on the 21st. But I'm still going to talk about it because there's never a wrong time to talk about joy, in my opinion. Um, two weeks ago, I had left town and uh, our hit some traffic, I was gonna be doing the yoga of resilience call from the car um, in the middle of moving my eldest daughter to the California coast from the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, we hit some unexpected traffic and it was, I could not get any service (laughs) to do the yoga resilience class from the car. So I'm glad you guys came back uh, today and I'm really glad that uh, Lauren was able to readjust and make those accommodations to be here and lead you guys in an amazing asana class that will follow um, my uh, roughly 40 minute, 50, 45 minute long rant. So you're here, are you ready for the rant to begin? Um, uh, hey, Courtney, I just can't, as more people come on, I just feel so happy. So it's great, thanks for showing up and making me feel the bob of what I'm gonna talk about. So, <clears throat> I've been thinking about joy because we've had lots of opportunities to not think about joy, sort of collectively speaking. Um, The world has been in turmoil. I don't, I won't tell you that I perceive that that turmoil is over. I know that we all have our own um, sort of thoughts about and perceptions about the world. I still think we're probably in turmoil as much as I wish that difficulty and fear and pain was like a switch that just like flipped off. Uh, I I also don't live in that um, 
illusion that we can just turn our pain and our difficulty on and off. But because I study Tantra and teach Tantra, which I'm so um, grateful and blessed to get to do, I'm continually trying to um, pivot our experiences, my personal experience and, and what I perceive to be our collective experience around almost like a rotisserie and just sort of roast it until I can find the juiciness in the challenge. Um, and what I've been working with, um, I think since prior to December, I think in December we talked about trust. If you came to our um, yoga resilience class in December, we were exploring the nature of trust and that has evolved in, a, in some ways, because one of the questions I posed in that class was, what does trust feel like in your body? And after that class, I got some feedback from, from our friends, from some of our friends that didn't have a reference point on what trust felt like um, in, in felt sense experience in our body. And I, and I completely um, uh, relate to that the feeling of trust in our body for so many of us and, and especially in this current time of our world, it's hard to access. It's kind of far away. Um, you know, we're, for most of us are still pretty locked down, right? Unless you're, unless you're calling in from New Zealand, you're probably pretty locked down. And uh, just what that means for us and what that means for our future and uh, you know, a changing of the guard of, our, of this country um, and uh, ripples of uh, change and that extend way beyond our um, boundaries and borders leave us often not feeling very trustful, you know? Um, I think what we, explored when we were talking about trust was um, its source, right? So when we trust, when we, when we source trust from outside of ourselves, if we were doing that right now, all signs point to no, right? If we're trying to source trust in the world in any way, we're getting a pretty clear message that um, don't be a sucker, right? <laughs> like don't trust the world because it is a mess. Um, and if we trust, if we source trust inside, then maybe we can start to scratch the surface of its presence, right? And maybe not. A lot of us have a lot of difficult experience that we carry with us um, that make trust that makes trust difficult to access. So the trust uh, path led me to um, thinking about how for those of us that really struggle to find that trust that's sourced inside that's not dependent on external circumstances or experiences how can we start to cultivate it um i told someone i'm i've said this for a couple of years now but um you know i run a yoga teacher training company um, which I love and I can't believe how um, blessed I am to do this work for a living. And um, somewhere along the line, I had to redefine what wealth meant. Yeah, wealth didn't mean um, that I have stacks of cash in the bank or the best health insurance on the market or um, a really fat 401k that's going to buy me a yacht. Um, wealth meant that I get to get on my mat for a living that sitting in meditation for an hour every day is part of the work that I do for the people that I work with. Um, wealth meant that I get to walk away from my computer and into the woods um, for hours at a time, any day, every day. Um, and, and I realized that at, in that process of redefining uh, certain cultural norms, what I discovered was for me, I started to trust in the joy that my definition of, of wealth brought more than I trusted the external evidence of it in my life. So moving from trust to joy seems for me a natural transition because when trust is hard to find, um, every, joy is hard to find. 
right? Um, when trust is easy to find, joy is easy to find in the tiniest places, in places you never expected to find it. When you feel a sense of trust, you joy sort of effervesces up through our experiences. And, and then I, I tell people that I'm, uh, I treat my practice and my mat and my cushion uh, as if I'm the scientist, the experiment and the guinea pig. So I won't really teach something until I run it through my own uh, rigors of experience. And what I observed in, in sort of running that hypothesis that if I can trust, I'll feel more joy. And if I can feel more joy, um, I'll trust more deeply is I, I took that theory and I started to put it into practice um, in some really interesting ways. And so it's only been, I mean, it's probably been a decade uh, off and on of unnamed exploration, but with direct focus, it's been about a month. So uh, this is all hypothetical. I don't want to say hypothetical, it's direct, but it's uh, still in process. So I'm really open because of that um, and always to feedback and, and your own experiments, right? Like that's what scientists do. They they work really hard to try to disprove things. So I'm gonna throw on your plate the experiment of joy and its relationship to trust. And then I dare you to disprove me, which to me just equates with you doing experiments of joy and trust for the rest of your days. And that sounds awesome. Uh, I celebrate that possibility. So what I discovered is joy, not happiness, so I would like to make a distinction between that. Sometimes joy results in happiness, but the two are not synonymous in my experience, and I'll try to unpack that a little. Um, joy helps me metabolize the pain that I'm experiencing, or the difficulty that I have, or the challenges that I'm facing. Joy and the opportunity to really allow myself to feel joy amidst challenge is the way that I can grow my capacity for more challenge. Right. And so I, I equated that with joy as kind of like the digestive juices um, of the fodder of challenge. Right. When we can be immersed as we all are, most of us, unless you're in New Zealand, uh, in this strange infiltration of fear and um, question and death and loss and illness, um, when we can be immersed in that and yet still find beauty, um, that that finding of beauty does not negate the suffering. So I do believe that, and I'm not sure that this is true everywhere I, I was born and raised in the United States of America. So I can't reference other cultures. Um, and I was born and raised in a very specific way and place in the United States of America. So I'm not even sure that I can reference other cultures in our country. Um, but my experience has been that often when times are hard, to own or access or experience joy often feels like a betrayal of the difficulty. And so in some ways we avoid, um, or I have been taught to avoid uh, feeling awe or immersing myself in beauty because times are hard. And, and let's be real, when times are hard, it's hard. Right? When times are hard, we are wired. Maybe you guys already know this. You guys know about negativity bias. Our Oh, no, Anna Schweitzer, I'm going to tell you so much right now. Uh, I'm going to reference how I learned it was a book uh, by called Hardwired for Happiness um, by Hansen. Is his, Rick Hansen is his name. Um, I, get, I don't get anything from plug in his book, just this information, um, that we are, our brains are wired towards negativity. So if we have a negative experience and imprints almost instantly, but in order for us to imprint positive experiences into our memory 
or our thoughts or our emotions, we have to really pay attention and work at it, right? In his book, he talks about yielding to the positive. So negative imprints immediately, right? The example I always give is um, you go through a green light and you have no recollection if what you did was then go through five red lights. If you were running late, you'll remember one red light and you won't remember the five green lights that got you to your destination, right? We're immediately wired to remember the challenge. Um, and it's a protective survival strategy so that we can protect ourselves and, and survive. But we're not wired to remember the beauty, to remember the green lights. We're not wired to remember the flowers in the spring. That's why it's so surprising every time they come, we feel so overcome and so uh, celebratory every time the flowers return in the spring because we're not wired to, to hold that, right? We're wired to dread the winter because we have to prepare ourselves so that we can survive it but we're not wired to celebrate the spring, that is something that we have to work at, okay? Now, for some of us, depending on how we were raised and, and our context and our family and our uh, history, some of us, joy comes more easily, right? For a lot of reasons. Um, and some of us, we have to work harder at it, but at this current time in the world, I think all of us could use a little joy infusion um, because we have so much to metabolize. We have so much challenge. We have so much difficulty. We have uh, at every corner uh, that we turn, we seem to have the opportunity to be afraid and to doubt, right? Uncertainty, the rug of uncertainty has been pulled out from beneath our feet in so many ways. Um, and it makes the necessity of metabolizing that fear and that doubt and that pain even more important. And here's why, in my opinion, because emotion is generative. So when you feel something, it generates more of itself, right? When you feel afraid, the feeling of fear generates more fear. When you feel doubtful, you guys know this, right? When's the last time you had to take a test? When you doubted that you could pass that test, it just generated more doubt and more doubt and more doubt. And it woke you up in the middle of the night afraid you were gonna fail the test, right? Maybe it's been a long time since you've had to take a test. My kids are in high school, so I watch it happen. But emotion is generative, feeling is generative. And if we're not committing as much time generating um, that positive response, that positive emotion, as we do sort of unconsciously or subconsciously spend generating that negativity bias, which comes so naturally to us, um, then we find ourselves in a really difficult, dark place where it's hard to see joy in our lives. And then it becomes harder and harder to metabolize, to digest difficulty when it comes. Right, and so we, we experience things uh, that have terminology attached to it, like overwhelm, anxiety, right? We, we experience um, despair, depression. Um, and these are not, like these feelings are super real. I don't mean in any way to disregard or deny their existence. And I think that they're, a they're one uh, dimension of the multi-dimensional uh, life that we have an opportunity to live into. Now, I've never really been met with an opportunity in my life personally, which has been a pretty charmed life. I won't, it's, it's had its problems for sure. Um, but I've had privilege but I've still never met an opportunity that didn't require me to work for it, right? Um, and whether that work was intense or uh, easeful, 
uh, varied based on the opportunity that came my way, but I've always had to work uh, in some way. I've always had the effort towards my opportunities, towards the, the movement of opportunity in my life. And so joy is something that if we want to open ourselves to it and we want to, it's like the great irony, it's everywhere. The opportunity to feel it and experience it and see it is literally everywhere. I'm sure every single one of you, I don't know where all of you are located, but I'm sure every single one of you could open up your front door and look out and find something to be joyful about, something to be in awe of, right? Life is a miracle. I think I spoke to this in a, a teacher training this past weekend that I, I was leading, but um, you know, Amber, I don't know if your cameras are on. If you can see our friend Amber, I keep talking about her because she's holding this like brand new thing. Um, it's got 10 fingers and 10 toes, I think. I can't count from here. Um, and it's precious in every way. It's only like a couple of weeks old, not like maybe a month. And uh, yeah, there she is. And when, when she emerged, everyone, including people that have only seen her through a screen, said, what a miracle. What a miracle. That love planted this seed and grew this human inside Amber and all of the effort it took to grow that human inside her and then to bring that human out. And when she came out, it was a miracle. And this is what I wanna say. Whatever your past, whatever your history, wherever you come from, everybody thought that about you too. The moment you emerged, you were a miracle. And my question for you is, when did that stop? When did you stop remembering that your existence is miraculous. I have my theories and I won't go down that uh, line of judgment and critique, but what I wanna offer you is you've never stopped being miraculous, ever. You might've forgotten and, and according to Tantra, that's how we're wired to forget, to conceal our memory is part of the dance of divinity, not because of cruelty or punishment, but because the opportunity to remember is so joyful, right? And so when you remember that just like that sweet little pink pile of flesh and baby lips and eyes and teeny little baby feet. Oh, baby feet. When you remember that that's a miracle and you remember that you were that, then maybe you start to have access again to the fact that you've always been that. That piece of you that is miraculous has never left. Though we may have forgotten it, though it may be hidden from us, we have the capacity to remember. And when we remember that, every minuscule detail of our existence has the opportunity to bring us joy. The tiniest pebble on the ground, right? The dandelion growing through the crack in the sidewalk can be overwhelmingly joyful because when we can remember that we're a miracle, then all of a sudden we are able, we don't always do it, but we're able to remember that everything is. Even the challenges that help us grow and build our capacity and, and make us suffer have a miraculous quality to them if we choose to turn our vision in the direction of the miracle, right? 
joy I perceive is a practice though. So though we were wired as a miracle, though we emerged in our miraculous space, it doesn't come easily for us because we have this opportunity to carry the weight of um, our memories and our impressions and our challenges and our difficulties and our lessons. We have this opportunity to carry all of the fullness of that moment from the first to where we are right now. And that can, that load can start to feel heavy after a while. And the heavier the load, the easier our forgetting. Right. And that's, that's not to be disregarded in any way. Some of our loads are much heavier than others. Some of the, our loads are so heavy that even the thought of trying to access joy <clears throat> feels like just another rock in the backpack. Right. Yet when we experience joy, when we, when we actually take the, the time to access it, what we notice is it lightens our load. Right. It, it takes off some of the weight, the heaviness of our existence, and it gives us access to um, more. Right. Tantra is a practice of more. So it's not, it's not um, Vedanta. It's not trying to um, transcend the what is. And it's not Raja Yoga where it's asking you to move in a linear direction towards um, an outcome. Instead, it's, it's inviting us to fully engage with wherever we find ourselves and recognize that every moment of engagement holds within it the opportunity for more engagement, for more experience, for more moments, right? So um, I say that even our mess is holy, right? And, and we have been trained Again, I have my theories on where, how, and why. Um, I'll throw out the dreaded colonizer word. We have been trained by colonization to only experience joy once we have achieved the necessary uh, points on the map, once we have achieved uh, the necessary successes, then we have earned our right to joy. Right, so we have these lives that are about chasing successes so that someday we can land in the space of joy. And then we spend years not seeing what's right in front of us, not remembering that we have and will always be a miracle. When we stop uh, subscribing, or, or at least we start practicing the opportunity to see things differently, then we open up the possibility that we don't have to achieve anything to be worthy of experiencing everything. Right? And that is liberating. You don't have to get everything perfectly correct. You don't have to do everything right. You don't have to make the money or please the people or look this way or act that way in order for joy to be accessible to you. It's literally always here. And it doesn't take away all of the challenge that is also always here. So that's the difficult part about the more. More isn't just the good. It's also everything else. And I don't think that we like that. We resist the everything else and we focus on just the good. And when we don't feel or attain the good, we have a tendency to feel as if it's betrayed us, that it doesn't exist, that joy is for those people who got the good stuff and not for us. And I'll tell you that in my opinion, I have a lot of opinions. Have you noticed? You just came on to listen to me talk about my opinions for 45 minutes. You can absolutely disagree with me. I highly recommend it just for fun. Um, but in my opinion, 
it's this opportunity to think that joy is is inaccessible that is the push to help us find it in our lives right in some strange and convoluted way what tantra would call the paradox it's only when you experience the depths of despair that joy is accessible that the heights of joy are truly accessible right and it sucks maybe it sucks based on the the scale of measurement that we have learned it sucks because we've been told that it's not good to feel bad and that feeling good is the only right way right but what if that's wrong what if it's just wrong or incorrect what if we are built from such power and such beauty and such potential and such possibility that we are so miraculous that we actually have access, capacity, ability, strength to feel good and bad. And that the feeling bad and the nuance of its feeling and the nuance of its challenge and, and its difficulty is just as rich in some ways as the possibility of feeling good. When we, when we recognize that we're wired to feel both, but some things come easier than others, then we, we open the possibility of having full access to it all. And we don't have to slice off parts of ourselves or slice off other things or other people or other experiences or the negative stuff that we hold. We don't have to eliminate it in order to experience joy. We don't have to wait. It's accessible to us now, even in maybe some of the hardest times in at least our recent history. I mean, I, I remember reading about the bubonic plague, so I wanna be careful that it's not the hardest time ever. Uh, but I imagine that for what for lived experience and, and a few generations back, this is, we're, we're in a really challenging period of time. So here's the other thing. Now I've got you, I've got you in cause I've been celebrating miracles and joy. You're 30. It's 36 minutes past the hour. Hang in for 24 minutes and Lo's going to teach you an amazing yoga class and you're going to love it and it's going to feel joyful and celebratory. And so right now is when I'm going to drop the bomb of my critique. Are you ready? Don't hang up. Stick with me. Lo will make it all better. I have, I have some opinions about lots of things. Specifically, if you know me and you've hung out with me for any length of time, you know I have some pretty strong opinions about spiritual bypassing, right? And this desire to make everything um, all love and light all the time. And the way that that denies our lived experience and, and sort of um, cuts us off from so much of the energy, the Shakti that's available to uh, us as living beings. So here's a, here's a 180 for you, just to aggravate that, just to create some friction around that idea. What if uh, the refusal to experience joy is also bypassing? Right, so I've been um, sitting back, I mean, and watching what rolls through social media like all of us. And yes, for the Bernie memes, oh my God. Yes, for the mittens everywhere. There, He's literally everywhere. He was on the Golden Girls this morning and then he was in a, a rap video and he was at a Jewish deli. Like he's literally everywhere in his mittens, yes, right? What else I've been seeing in um, social media is a lot of people refusing to feel excited, happy, joyful, 
for lots of different reasons. I'm not going to, I'm not going to attach a, a story to it, but just a lot of people that are like, I don't know. And I know this is a little edgy and provocative, but you guys that know me know that this is what I do. So if this is new for you, bear with me because this is what I do. I poke, um, not out of, uh, not with the intent to aggravate fully, not, not with the full intent to aggravate, but also with the intent to get us to think about things um, maybe in a different way. Um, I have a teacher that says, thinking outside the box is exactly what, how the box would think which I love, I just love that image. Thinking outside of the box is exactly how the box would think. So our work is to think down into the box. So let's think down into this idea of the refusal of allowing ourselves to feel joy or to celebrate. How is this keeping us bound in some sense of, uh, importance, some sense of self-protection, some sense of denial that everything has its own miraculous existence, right? When we say, it's so easy to theoretically say like, there's so many miracles and we're a miracle and we need to celebrate the miracles. But we have an extreme resistance on being duped we have so much fear and doubt that if we celebrate something and it turns out not to be what we thought, that we will be, I don't know what, less than? We will prove ourselves to be unaware, right? So we have in our current day, a resistance to affirming the miraculous nature of life. And, and I get it. And I think that it's a way that we bypass our opportunity to feel the full capacity of what is available to us in our lives. So if we notice that we go down a road of challenge or difficulty or despair and somehow that road seems to go on forever we have a, a bit of a resistance in in recognizing that that forever road could be partially our choice that forever road could be partially our own making now remember i started this conversation with emotion is generative so what happens when a thousand of us or 10,000 of us or a hundred thousand of us or a million of us refuse to let joy in in all of the ways that it can show up? And that million of us that refuse joy because we don't wanna be duped and we, and we don't wanna be proven wrong. I, I wanna plant the seed that that's another uh, colonizer idea that you can't be wrong, that it's the worst thing in the world to be wrong and, and not allowing ourselves the opportunity to be wrong robs us of the opportunity to celebrate the moments because then everything comes under scrutiny. Well, can I really celebrate this? Because I could be wrong about it. How many of you started a new relationship with a partner and said, I don't really know if this is love or not, maybe I'm wrong. Right? So you won't even let, uh, we won't even let ourselves love others because we're so afraid of being wrong. Right? And if emotion, if that experience is generative, how does it grow our reality consciously and unconsciously? And then for all of that, that's not even the most interesting part to me. The interesting part to me is, well, how can we shift it? If we're growing our reality based on a, a, a cultural idea of not wanting to be wrong, how can we shift it? What if we just celebrated everything that feels um, awe-striking 
What if we dared to experience joy in the tiniest and most insignificant of places, even if it's wrong? And then what if there was a million of us daring to experience joy in tiny ways? How would that shift the whole picture? I'm willing to start with, uh, you know, 25 of us. I'm willing to start even less with like three of us. I don't know that there is a negative outcome to allowing yourself to experience joy because my perception is not that being wrong is negative. I know that uh, I was a super nerd in school. I should have had a cape. It was like superhero style nerd. Um, not with every class, but with the ones that mattered. Um, and I can't remember anything that I got right on my tests. But you know, to this day, when I failed a test in fourth grade history, I can still remember what I got wrong. We don't necessarily, necessarily learn from our rights and our achievements and our perfections, but we necessarily learn from getting things wrong and our failures and our imperfections. And what if that was something to celebrate rather than to avoid? Wouldn't your day just be easier if you, I, I told a friend of mine a, a while back, she was having some problems with her job. And I was like, well, why don't you just go to work and be the wor best, worst employee that you could possibly be? Just be the best, worst person, right? Like what, how would, how would it shift the measure of our days if we allowed ourselves to, to not try to get everything right? Would joy be more accessible? And then in that experience of joy and that surrender and acceptance, would we then find that the hardship that we face in all of the color, colorful and, and um, diverse ways that we face it, it might not be so uh, drowning of an experience. It might not suffocate us or cut us off from what's available in this life. Yeah. Um, let's see what else I got. I, I've sort of been running my notes and I'm aware that Lauren's class is coming up. So here's some, here's some points to ponder. What do you celebrate? I want to, maybe next month, uh, we'll talk about gratitude. I, I don't want to, I'm putting it out there. We'll see if it emerges. Uh, there are 30 days of life to live between now and February. Uh, although I don't know it's 30 days until our next class, but um, I don't want to, I don't want to attach to the fact that we'll talk about gratitude, but I'm, I'm interested in the nuance between what we're grateful for and what we celebrate, because I don't, I do not perceive that we have to be grateful for the things that we celebrate. I could be wrong. Um, and maybe it's, it's more like a two way street, right? Sometimes we celebrate things and become grateful for them. And then sometimes we're grateful for things and then learn how to celebrate it, right? But I'm curious, when we're talking about the ability of joy to help us metabolize, to digest our difficulties, what do you celebrate? What kind of requirements do you put around what you celebrate? What demands and expectations do you have around your celebrations? And are they part of the resistance to joy, right? 
Does it have to be something huge? Do you have to win the lottery? Do you have to get a new car? Does it have to be the most beautiful sunset to celebrate it? Or can it be sort of a mediocre sunset? Right, there's your paradox right there. You know what makes the best sunsets? Air pollution. Stellar sunsets, right? So now can you even celebrate the sunset? If they're from, if the reason that the sunset is so spectacular is because of harm we've done to our planet, can we still celebrate it? Right, so this is the question. This is the point of pondering. What do you celebrate? And are there opportunities to celebrate more than you thought? So here's the tools I'll give you for that. Curiosity. So simple, right? Again, I'll place, the, I'll place the possibility that we don't know everything. I don't even know that we know a fraction of anything. I like to think that we don't. I like to put my heart in the hands of the mystery and to not think that I have to have it all figured out or that even the, the, our species knows even a fraction of what's available to us. That makes me be able to breathe a little. I'd always tell our TTs, our teachers in training, everybody has such a strong attachment to anatomy. Now, let me preface this by saying, I do not. <laughs> I know just enough to be dangerous, not enough to be smart. But everybody has this incredible attachment to anatomy. And I have some really good friends that are anatomists. That's their whole background. And so this is my, this is my fun poke on them. But Everybody's so attached to anatomy in their yoga classes, right? This rotates this way, this plane of the body, this, this muscle, this, this attachment point, that, this connective tissue there, this, this structural alignment here. Everybody's so attached. You get on any uh, yoga teacher forum and it's, there's so many questions about how to um, do anatomy safely and correctly and et cetera, et cetera. Yet about, it's probably been about six or eight years ago now anatomists discovered a new ligament in the knee. Now here's the first thing I wanna say, it's not new. You have always had it. Just because it wasn't named, it doesn't make it a discovery. Feel free to extrapolate this as widely as you feel called. Nothing was discovered. It's always been there. So what happens to what we trust or what we deem to be true or right when we will only ever know a portion of it? We will only ever never know enough. There's a tattoo. I will only ever never know enough. You're never gonna be able to know enough. So what happens when you can't know enough? When you just surrender to the not knowing, you get to be curious about everything. Everything becomes a discovery. Everything becomes an opportunity to be awed, right? Even the pain becomes an opportunity to discover more sensation, more dimension more texture, more depth, right? Even the fear becomes like a fun house. No, I don't mean fun, I mean creepy, right? But it, it becomes a place to explore as opposed to a place to eliminate. And when we start eliminating things, then we start, elimination is the beginning or at least the well-worn trail of forgetting. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to forget anymore. I also don't want to cry. I don't want to forget. I don't want to turn a blind eye to everything that is now evident. I don't want to sweep it under the rug. I don't want to put my blinders on. I don't want to pretend like it never existed. I don't want to go back to the way things were. I want to live forward 
I want to stay curious. I want to be awed. I want to be amazed. I want to be shocked. Because that is what life is. That is the opportunity that we all have, no matter what life we're living. So curiosity is a tool to invoke joy. And joy is a tool to digest our pain. And none of them make any of the rest go away. And I hope you don't want it to. Last one, last question for contemplation, and then I'm gonna pass the torch on to my friend and colleague and recent Virabhava Yoga graduate and current Virabhava Yoga mentor and sweetheart, Lauren. Um, my last question is this, what draws you in? What magnetizes you? And it, and listen, it doesn't have to be on the spectrum of positivity. What intrigues you? Because that's where you start. If you are drawn in, if you are intrigued, if you are magnetized by a thing, go towards it. Seek out the miraculous in it. Know that everything, all things, are a source of joy. Right? So become aware of what you're attracted to and become aware of what you're averse to. Um, one of my teachers says that aversions are just attractions that we don't like. So think about that, the things that you don't wanna see and you don't wanna pull in what is the joy and the miracle there? Right? Um, I appreciate you listening to me rant about joy. I hope it served. Uh, hope that something connected with you. If you enjoyed this podcast and are curious about what we do, please check out our website for more information writings, classes, and programs. Virabhavayoga.com, that's V-I-R-A-B-H-A-V-A-Y-O-G-A.com. You can use the discount code PODCAST2021 to get 20% off everything on the site. Hope to see you again.